Welcome to the return of the Primal Endurance Podcast. This is your host, Brad Kearns, and we are going on a journey to a kinder, gentler, smarter, more fun, more effective way to train for ambitious endurance goals. Visit primalendurance.fit to join the community and enroll in our free video course. Hey man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gaines Wave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. A skilled practitioner puts the Gaines Wave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gaines Wave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary Band-Aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gaines Wave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainsway from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, and while it's great for ED, Gaines Wave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit GainesWave.com slash Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area, and you can take advantage of my special promotion, buy six treatments, and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. Welcome to 115 Things You Need to Know as a Primal Endurance Athlete. And we are now into the second category after covering aerobic training and numerous insights over two shows there. Now we cover the topic of periodization of your training program Insight number one, kind of a definition. Periodization entails focusing on different types of training during specific blocks of time over a calendar year. A broad example of an annual training schedule for an endurance athlete is kicking off with an aerobic base building period, many periods of intensity and or competition, bookended by many periods of rest and many periods of returning to aerobic focus, a miniature aerobic base building period, and finally, a lengthy rest period to end the season. Uh, This whole concept of periodization is addressing a competitive endurance athlete with specific race goals at certain times of the year. And we get all kinds of questions over the years like, wait a second, this conflicts with the primal blueprint message of doing some strength training, doing sprinting, and doing cardio, 
uh, all the time in life. And so if I were talking to a general fitness enthusiast who wants to uh, feel strong, energetic, delay aging, maintain muscle mass, uh, pursue a fun, active lifestyle, uh, then periodization is not really relevant. Although there is some justification for virtually any fitness enthusiast, any athlete for doing some aerobic base work and taking a chunk of time just to uh, build that cardiovascular system at comfortably paced workouts. But for a competitive endurance athlete, this is particularly relevant because you need to uh, build that foundation before you layer in uh, high-stress, faster-paced workouts. And if you're attempting to kind of sprinkle in intensity or challenging workouts uh, throughout the year, this can easily lead to, in general, an overly stressful training pattern where you are fine-tuning that small engine, as we talked about in the previous shows, rather than building a wonderful foundation from which to launch from when you perform these high-intensity workouts that deliver fantastic fitness breakthroughs if they are conducted properly and if you have enough resiliency, enough foundation to absorb and benefit from these workouts. So the aerobic base period to kick off the year is a period of time, usually eight weeks minimum, where all of your workouts are at or below your maximum aerobic heart rate. So you're just out there putting in mileage, putting in the hours. You're not going fast. You're not introducing an extensive amount of energy, sapping, uh, strength training sessions, anything that's intense or really challenging in the gym. A lot of people wonder, can I still do my uh, rehabilitative exercises or my leg extensions that my physical therapist gave me to, to work on my medialis muscle and alleviate knee problems? Of course. Uh, but we're talking about devoting the vast majority of your exercise energy expenditure available to aerobic conditioning, including uh, the challenging workouts of going longer rather than going faster. So you're watching that heart rate very carefully, and you'll find that your body is able to build, build, build in conditioning without the interruption that's often caused by uh, performing and recovering from high-intensity exercise. So off this base building period, it's really common for uh, elite endurance athletes to go and set PRs uh, in their early racing season, even though they haven't done a sufficient amount of high-intensity exercise to prepare. They don't think they're ready for a peak effort. Um, I experienced this uh, frequently uh, on the racing circuit, where I'd kick off in April with a great race, and then maybe in June or July, uh, I'd become uh, tired, burnt out from the, the traveling and the stress of the racing circuit rather than building, building, building. So there is a lot of magic to taking care of your uh, energy expenditure, balancing the stress levels in your life, and focusing on training that is nourishing and restorative before you set foot on the track or conduct the hill repeats or open up the throttle. And I'll talk later in one of the other numbered insights about how important it is to have a successful aerobic base building period before you transition into the next periods. But for this one, uh, the next on the list would be mini periods of intensity and or competition bookended by mini periods of rest, aerobic base building, and finally a lengthy rest period to end the season. So what your competitive season looks like is, let's say, ideally, 
uh, after the base, you come out and you try some racing or you throw in some intensity for three, four, five, or six weeks. And I think six weeks is the absolute maximum chunk of time for indulging in a racing schedule or a, a frequent uh, conducting of high intensity sessions. And after that six week period, maximum, it can be three weeks, it can be four weeks, it can be two weeks, right? Couple races, and then you're going to call it, um, you're going to call it a mini period, but you always want to bookend uh, a competitive burst with a little bit of rest. And then coming out of the rest, it's a great idea to indulge in a mini period of base building and then back into a chunk of intensity and competition. And so by continuing to uh, rotate in periods of time where you're focused on rest or you're focused on aerobic development, that will help you uh, stay away from the disaster of the overreaching into overtraining pattern that's so common when people open up the racing schedule and just proceed through the calendar months going and going, uh, throwing in the difficult, challenging workouts and racing and just not allowing the body to replenish and rejuvenate. So it's much better to look at uh, blocks of time and so when I say six weeks maximum for a racing slash intensity chunk, if you do extend out to the maximum, then you're going to want to take a two-week rest period minimum. <laughs> I know I'm talking to endurance athletes. We've got to put a cap on the hard stuff and a, um, a, a floor on the, on the easy stuff. But if you did go out six weeks, then you want to take a nice nourishing two-week break and when I say break, I'm not talking about sitting on the couch, so everything's relative. This might be a period of time where you're going to enjoy uh, some hikes, some leisurely swims in the lake at the summer cabin, whatever you're doing. Yes, you're allowed to pedal a little bit if you absolutely want to get out there and experience a nice uh, Wednesday morning on the bicycle trail before you head into work. But you're going to have in your mind that you're not, quote, in training. You are just exercising a big difference from bringing out the technology and measuring everything and tracking your heart rate or uh, being with other athletes where you're in a semi-competitive setting. It's just a period of rest and spontaneous exercise, uh, none of which will be stressful. So you're allowed to get out there and move your body, um, but you don't want to consider it training when you're taking this rest break. So if a six-week competitive period is bookended by a two-week rest period, and then you would go into a two-week aerobic base building period where you can get back into, quote, training and start putting in the hours again and doing some over-distance stuff, but you want to stay away from high-intensity workouts for another two weeks, then you're teed up nicely for another competitive chunk that, again, can go for three weeks, go for four weeks, go for a maximum of six weeks, uh, but if you go for only two or three weeks, like a couple races or a binge of high-intensity workouts, then you can take, let's say, uh, a rest period of a week, an aerobic period of a week. So everything's sort of um, adjustable to uh, the the duration of the corresponding uh, periodization period in the periodization program. And so as we go through these mini cycles of intensity, rest, aerobic base, back to intensity, rest, aerobic base, you will finally get to the end of the season where a lengthy rest period is recommended. 
And again, does not mean sitting on the couch getting fat. And it can mean whatever you want it to mean, where you transition over into uh, other activities. Maybe it's um, gardening, hiking, uh, going out there and kicking the soccer ball with your young children, things that you've been neglecting because of that deep focus on training during the competitive season. But it's certainly okay to be active and getting exercise. But if you've pushed it really hard and you had a big uh, competitive event at the end of the season, certainly a complete break from exercise lasting however long you want it to be until you feel like getting out there again is acceptable and recommended. This is especially the case for someone like a pure runner who completes a marathon at the end of the season on pavement has pounded their body to the extreme and probably needs to do nothing but walking for at least a couple weeks after the marathon. And there's research that was widely touted Um, I remember it coming up years ago, that something like 80% of first-time marathoners sustained a upper respiratory illness in the two-week period following their first marathon. So uh, a lot of times you're excited, you cross the finish line, you're sore for three or four days, and you're still bathed in stress hormones, and you're so excited about going back and talking to your uh, running teammates uh, on a six-mile easy jog and relating the blow-by-blow of the marathon and aspiring to Uh, new races in the season ahead, and you feel fine, but you're still inflamed, uh, immune suppressed, and full of stress hormones. And so getting back into training too soon after a marathon is a sure recipe uh, to get an illness or perhaps an injury. So um, we want to respect the high degree of difficulty and the high level of intensity and focus uh, for your season-ending culminating race, and then take that appropriate rest period where there's no pressure, People always talk about, well, I might mountain bike in the off-season, I put my tri-bike away, but it's easy to get out of hand with just transitioning over into another endurance activity or sporting activity and applying uh, an excessive amount of stress to the body when you should really uh, be allowing for that true downtime, uh, both psychologically and physically with the energy output or the amount of energy you devote to exercise. Okay, that was a good setup, so we can probably move more quickly through uh, some of the ones that I'll, I'll be touching on with this, with this opening statement. Okay, number two, I worded this pretty aggressively on purpose, so hear me out, hear me out. The insight is consistency in the context of endurance training is ill-advised. You are better off being intuitive, varied, and flexible in your workout patterns The process of fitness progress is dynamic and unpredictable, not linear. So we know on many levels, consistency is super important, right? You want to keep those muscles and joints and the blood flowing and not have a lot of days where you're sitting all day long in the name of recovery or getting away from the swimming pool for a week straight and losing some of your conditioning and your muscular um, resiliency for, for workouts. And so I'm not talking about being a flake, and I don't think a lot of people in the endurance scene are at risk of departing uh, so far away from a consistent exercise training regimen that they're going to suffer fitness consequences. So I'm hitting this point hard because so many people uh, have a desire to adhere to a regimented training schedule where Tuesday nights 
they head to the track to meet the group to do the template workout of six times 800 meters or what have you. And Saturday is the day for the long ride because they don't have enough time during the week to do so. And boy, there is a lot to um, getting a convenient schedule where maybe you don't have time during the week for a long ride. But if you want to progress and avoid the mistakes and the setbacks, you really need to make sure that you go through sort of an intuitive checkpoint every time you set off for a workout. So I'm saying just because it's Saturday morning doesn't mean that it's an appropriate time for you to go out there and go long unless you're feeling uh, like it's appropriate. Your legs feel good, your mood, your energy. Um, you don't have any symptoms of immune suppression or injury hotspots. You got a green light and then you can go out there and kick some butt as planned for that Saturday morning ride. Uh, but in practice, because we have so many uh, life variables and stress variables to mix in to our training decisions, that uh, an intuitive approach is going to be more effective. And you're going to have to be really smart and disciplined about regulating your competitive intensity and your energy expenditure appropriately because you're not going to hit all of the planned workouts that you aspire to because our competitive goals and our competitive intensity and our mentality and that uh, driven goal-oriented nature that a lot of people bring to the endurance scene is going to pretty much uh, tee you up to design this super impressive schedule that's an ideal rather than a realistic and so the time to be realistic is at the start of every workout. You can ask yourself these questions. Am I ready to go? Am I feeling uh, loose and limber and uh, inspired? Or do I need to um, change my best laid plans and adapt and perhaps uh, cut the workout in half? And then when you get skilled at that, you can enjoy uh, some freedom on either side of the ideal schedule drawn up on a piece of paper. And when you get good at that, you're going to have the opportunity to open up the throttle at times when it wasn't planned for either. So if you had a planned 50-mile ride and you get to mile 40 and you feel fantastic and you decide to take it up to a 70, you're going to score points in your training log and in your progress toward a competitive potential by achieving fitness breakthroughs when all the stars align for you. And of course, we want to plan for the stars to align on Saturday morning because that's the time that we have to take a long bike ride. But if you happen to cut some of those short because it's not the right day, uh, one day your, your, your number will come up, especially when you're disciplined and intuitive at all times. And then you'll lock into a more predictable pattern where when it's time to push yourself, you're ready and you're building in sufficient recovery. Uh, so that takes us to number three, a good strategy for intuitive training is to align workout degree of difficulty with your subjective evaluations of your daily levels of energy, motivation, and health. And there's a great product called the Primal Blueprint 90-Day Journal. You can still grab it on Amazon or where you like to order books. And we have this beautiful scoreboard where you can write in subjective scores for all these different uh, lifestyle factors and get really in tune with um, how to make good workout decisions based on how other things are going. Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. 
if you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training in all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. And it might be your sleep, might be your overall stress level at work or in personal life. And if you can kind of put a scoreboard together where you're looking at uh, threes and fours with motivation and your health, instead of being nine or 10, is a six or seven because you got kind of a scratchy throat or your head feels heavy, the allergies are hitting in this time of year. Um, you try to align your workout difficulty with some threes or fours or six and sevens rather than have a disparity between um, your overall uh, stress level and uh, uh, readiness level and the workouts themselves. Okay, so number four, the aerobic base period to commence the season should last at least eight weeks. This is in almost every case, right, for a serious athlete planning a ambitious racing schedule. However, it can possibly last much longer if progress with aerobic function stalls or overstress symptoms are present, such as illness, injury, fatigue, or just um, lack of development. You're not satisfied with your aerobic development over the eight-week period. I told the story uh, of Mike Pig many times how he was um, obligated uh, with his advisor, Phil Maffetone, to uh, avoid any high-intensity workouts and training because he was healing from a serious intestinal illness and uh, beat up and burnt out from many years racing the circuit and competing at the highest level. And so until further notice, he kept all of his workouts and training at under his aerobic limit of 155 beats per minute or below. I believe this carried on for a couple years back in the early 90s. And in 91, he had his best season ever where he was triathlete of the year and won almost all of his races. Uh, he got upset in Israel on the very last race of the season uh, by the guy talking. So I want to needle him, and you can uh, share this clip with him if you know him. <laughs> uh, we both had our best season in 1991. Wasn't that fun? Anyway, um, you know, doing really the only speed workouts of the entire year were the races. And so all training was aerobic. 
and it was very successful for the fastest triathlete in the world. So it can be for you too, trust me. And if anything is not optimal with that aerobic development, just stay in aerobic base building mode for a long time. Just carry on because that'll allow you to get stronger without the interruption of higher stress workouts. Um, Big one, okay. So number five, intensity should be introduced only after a successful aerobic period and last a maximum of four weeks. Oops, I gave you six weeks in the earlier insight. And so here in writing is four weeks. And I believe I uh, put that in there, Mark and I deciding, because we know that people, uh, if you give them an inch, they might take a mile. Um, So for a superbly conditioned athlete with a lot of experience, you probably could last for a month and a half with a racing type schedule where you're throwing in workouts and you're racing frequently. Um, But let's just say four weeks is a great recommendation, especially for someone with less experience or a little more uh, fragility. And so the key attribute of these intensity slash competitive periods are that your volume is greatly reduced. So this is not a time to go out there and throw down your typical uh, long workout on the weekend or to get your mileage up to a certain threshold that you uh, prefer to maintain. You're just going to let that go and really focus on performing these high-intensity workouts in a crisp and effective manner with excellent form, excellent power, uh, excellent technique, no form or technique breakdown during the session. So that means if you're doing... Uh, a set of six hill repeats on the bicycle lasting a few minutes each and your fifth one you start to feel a little bit of tightness in your lower back guess what you're doing five that day instead of six so you want to have impeccable technique and power output if you're measuring that you know a consistent quality of the efforts and when that quality drops even a little bit uh, the workout's over and so um, maximum four weeks you can't argue with that suggestion and during that time your volume is way down. So you're not you're, you're cutting in half the duration of your typical uh, baseline uh, run or bike or swim or row or whatever sport you're focusing on. Uh, you're cutting way back on anything that's considered an over-distance where they're just going to be uh, sidelined until you go back into aerobic-based building period. Don't worry, you won't lose anything. This is what periodization is all about. Six. Many periods of high intensity during the competitive season should be followed by a period of nearly equal duration composed of rest and aerobics. So I gave some of those examples earlier where um, we're going into, I said, six-week competitive slash intensity followed by two-week rest followed by two-week aerobic. And so I'm, again, backing off a little bit where if you're going into a four-week intensity slash competitive period you can piggyback that with two weeks of rest and two weeks aerobic. Uh, Number seven, the season-ending rest period should be diligent and comprehensive. No training, no thinking about training, and extra attention to rest, sleep, and neglected hobbies and social connections. So I defined training earlier, and I think we can all relate or appreciate the distinction between that term training and in training versus uh, being someone who's active and likes to exercise during their rest period. But certainly nothing that you're timing or straining yourself to adhere to a certain pace or distance. Okay, pretty simple and a great time to, that's right, uh, work on other things. 
some of those things might be mobility, flexibility, balance, and injury prevention. So maybe it's a time to uh, pay more attention to doing your mini band exercises and your balance exercises in the gym with a trainer at home, whatever. Things that don't tax your aerobic system significantly. They don't have a lot of impact or a lot of uh, need for recovery after because they're not that physically stressful, but still can make a pretty good contribution to your overall fitness without uh, compromising this nice period of uh, being out of training. Number eight, tapering with a huge reduction in training volume and intensity promotes peak performance. It's very difficult to lose fitness even if you maintain a fraction of normal training. This astonishing information has been out there for uh, something like 50 years since the 70s and the 80s and the great work of Dr. Costell at Ball State University. And I reference uh, numerous studies. There's one from Canada with uh, endurance runners doing uh, five-kilometer races, and then the swimmers that tapered at Ball State um, showed that I, I believe it was something like eight weeks of training reduced by 50% in every way. So 50% reduction in volume, reduction in intensity. You know, if you're doing 10 times 200 as your typical swim workout, you're going to go five times 200, all that thing. And after the tapering period, uh, they uniformly swam as good or better than a performance test uh, before the tapering period. And this one article that came up in a running magazine years ago, I believe the reduction in training volume was like 80% or 90% for several weeks for these 5K performers where they did a 5K test and then they reduced their training by 80 or 90% for several weeks. So imagine what that means. If you're running uh, 50 miles a week and you cut down by 80%, you're going down to what, 10 miles a week or five miles a week, right? So that is um, unfathomable to the typical athlete that's so worried about getting out of shape, but it's effective because um, if you maintain even a semblance of your normal training load, it's very difficult to lose fitness, a fraction of your normal training. That's different than number nine, detraining, but right now we're talking about uh, using tapering to maximum effectiveness and knowing that you can leverage that for quite a long time. That's what these intensity slash competitive periods are all about, where you drastically reduce training volume. So if you're out there as a multi-sport athlete or an ultra runner doing 10, 15, 20 hours a week of training and you cut back to five or six, but in that five or six are some really crisp, uh, powerful, uh, high-intensity training sessions, anaerobic threshold training sessions, and uh, recovery days where you're only exercising for 30 minutes instead of your usual two hours. This is how you make those tremendous fitness breakthroughs thanks to the uh, the stimulus of the high-intensity workout followed by the recovery from the high-intensity workout. Number nine, true detraining due to inactivity caused by illness or injury causes rapid fitness losses, but you can regain fitness at approximately a one-to-one -one exchange of time off to time returning from training. And this is my assertion from anecdotal evidence rather than science, uh, but it seems very reasonable and repeated and many people can acknowledge this. So let's say um, you uh, get the flu and you're down for three weeks. You are going to detrain remarkably in three weeks of bed rest or total inactivity. And so the muscles don't like that, the skeleton doesn't like that, you're going to get your first uh, run back after an illness and you're going to be sore 
and all these kind of strange things after your first workout. Very frustrating. Uh, but detraining is no joke. And it's very difficult to um, get into that situation unless you are bedridden with an illness for true de detraining. But let's say you go on vacation and you barely get a chance to uh, perform your typical endurance training activities. Maybe you're out there for a little bit, uh, but you do experience a detraining effect after three weeks. Uh, guess what? Getting back into the mix, three weeks later, looks like you're going to be uh, reporting some good results and that you're back in the mix after whatever, uh, three or four swims, three or four bike rides, three or four runs, a um, couple long rides, whatever it is that will kick your body back into gear and you'll quickly pick up uh, from where you left off on that one-to-one -one ratio. This could even extend out to where, let's say you had a year off due to uh, a serious injury or you know a detour in life where you had to um, kind of uh, shuffle your priorities and um, care for a, an ailing loved one or whatever's going on to get you off the bike, off the water, off the roads, and it lasts for an entire year. Well, that's a long-ass time, and you're going to get way, way out of shape to where you can't even imagine running at the pace that you used to for a normal training session. But guess what? A year later, you're going to be back to where you were. So a year off, and then a year of struggling and scrambling to come back. I know that doesn't sound pleasant, uh, but it's not forever. That's the main point. And number 10, the last one in this category of periodization, the specific nature of high-intensity workouts is of minimal importance. All anaerobic exercise, whether it's intervals, time trials, hill repeats, Tabata sessions, have a similar effect on the body. Now, some elite coaches might disagree with me, elite athletes, and there is uh, some justification for getting your training more specific, especially as you climb up the competitive ladder where things really start to matter. Uh, but for the average recreational enthusiast, what we're talking about is putting your body into challenge with uh, buffering lactate, getting the heart beating at a higher rate, getting the lungs processing more oxygen, uh, getting your body used to an escalated pace with uh, more impact uh, in the case of running, more wattage output in the case of cycling. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. So um, when you go hard, you go hard and you don't have to sweat the details too much. It's way more important to focus on the big picture of are you going hard at the right time? Is your body ready? Are you paying attention to the intuitive signals for the duration of your workout, making sure that your, your power output and your technique is um, sustained throughout every uh, hard effort and uh, mixing and matching is okay and it's also okay if you love to do a certain hard workout and that's your go-to there's no obligation to uh, throw in a whole bunch of different types of high intensity workouts in order to be a competent uh, competitive athlete so relax a little bit um, don't sweat the details uh, a lot of times just going out there and, and going by feel and doing like a fartlek session, which is so popular in running, or heading out on a bike ride, knowing that it's time to go hard, and maybe you'll put the hammer down for 10 minutes straight, or maybe you will just punch every uh, brief uphill, whether they last for 12 seconds or 20 seconds or 30 seconds or a minute, and that'll be a fun way to just uh, cover the course in a manner that hones you for... Uh, high-intensity uh, competition. Okay, so that's a nice little chunk of information to digest from periodization. Thank you so much for listening to this series, and we will get to that 115 finish line pretty soon.
and then you'll have a great foundation, a great philosophical perspective about how to put all the details uh, into place and manage everything that you need to to be the most competent, healthy, and happy primal endurance athlete. Thanks for listening. Hey, man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about Gaines Wave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels. A skilled practitioner puts the Gaines Wave magic wand onto your magic wand, and after a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results. Gaines Wave reports an 80% success rate. Now, we know that popping pills is a popular penile protocol, but when you're working with clogged pipes, you just get a temporary band-aid effect when you take prescription drugs. Gaines Wave addresses the cause of age-related decline by stimulating growth factors and activating dormant stem cells. Translation, stronger, harder, more sustainable erections. I learned about Gainsway from my podcast guest, Dr. Judson Brandeis at the Brandeis MD Clinic in Northern California, and there's a robust network of Gainswave providers that you can find on their website near you. Complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, and while it's great for ED, Gaines Wave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit GainesWave.com slash Brad. That's G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E dot com slash B-R-A-D to find a practitioner in your area, and you can take advantage of my special promotion, buy six treatments, and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com slash Brad. I hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to check out the Primal Endurance Mastery Course at primalendurance.fit. This is the ultimate online educational experience where you can learn from the world's great coaches and trainers, diet, peak performance, and recovery experts, as well as lengthy one-on-one interviews from several of the greatest endurance athletes of all time, not published anywhere else. It's a major educational experience with hundreds of videos, but you can get free access to a mini course with an ebook summary of the Primal Endurance Approach and nine step-by-step videos on how to become a Primal Endurance Athlete. This mini-course will help you develop a strong, basic understanding of this all-encompassing approach to endurance training that includes primal-aligned eating to escape carbohydrate dependency and enhance fat metabolism, building an aerobic base with comfortably paced workouts, strategically introducing high-intensity strength and sprint workouts, emphasizing rest recovery and annual periodization, and finally cultivating an intuitive approach to training instead of the usual robotic approach of fixed weekly workout schedules. Just head over to primalendurance.fit and learn all about the course and how we can help you go faster and preserve your health while you're at it. 